When I first started as a therapist 20 years ago, I would frequently find myself confused regarding the boundary of what my job was. As a novice therapist 20 years ago, I often worked with client populations who were suffering from multiple issues like mental illness, health problems, financial problems, racism problems, school problems, neighborhood problems, legal problems, and so on. And as a therapist, I you know, naturally felt tremendous compassion for these people, and I really wanted to help them. So I would try to give advice, or I would ask around to see if anyone knew a solution, or I would try to find resources for my clients, but I never really felt at ease with that sort of work. However, I was 100% comfortable with providing therapy, you know, therapy therapy stuff like listening or helping people feel empowered or helping people recover from trauma or helping couples and families get along better, that sort of thing. But I was not comfortable with helping people get set up with Medicaid or helping people find the right school for their kids or helping people figure out how to pay their bills or, or other things like that. But often, those were the issues that people were most desperate about. You know, it, it's hard to work on improving your self-esteem when you can't find food for your children. Well, this sort of work is often referred to as case management in our field. You have therapy or counseling, and then you also have what we call case management. Case management often refers to the sort of work that I've been talking about, you know, helping people with Medicaid or helping people get set up with doctor appointments. So as my career progressed, I began to have a lot of opinions about this sort of work and in terms of my own life, my own career. And as a supervisor, supervisees would frequently ask me about it. You know, they'd ask me, how do I get someone set up with Medicaid? Or how do I get someone toys for their kids? Or how do I get them set up with DS DSHS or, you know, and then, and then inevitably they would ask, do I have to do this sort of work? Because it doesn't really feel like therapy, you know, and other kind of questions like this. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. The debate between providing therapy and providing case management. This topic was actually suggested by a colleague and friend of mine, Dr. Michelle Finley, who is core faculty in the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University Seattle, along with me. She suggested this topic, and so she's here today with me. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you. Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit more thoroughly? Oh, um, I think you did a pretty good job, but I will add a couple of things. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I introduced the topic um, and working um, with students in my case consultation section, which is like group supervision that we do at Antioch University. And I've got students who are various um, mental health community agencies in the community. And I think the burden and, and the, the stress that can come at, wor at working in different agencies like that really came up for my students. And so the question of kind of where's that boundary, where's that line? Is this, are we asking the right questions about trying to make that distinction between therapy, um, which is the bulk, which is what our students are being trained to become therapists, um, what that looks like versus getting into case management like you were talking about earlier. So, yeah, it just was kind of percolating in me and trying to figure out what that boundary is 
Um, and so, yeah, I reached out to you. Great. Welcome to the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. So, Michelle, what are your thoughts about this topic? I, I'm curious. You, you've been practicing as a therapist for 10, mm, uh, yeah, 7? Over a decade. Okay. Now. So, yeah. over a decade. And you've naturally run into this case management question. How have you personally dealt with that? What are your feelings about it? Yeah, I think for me, my feelings are are, are still a bit mixed for that. I don't, I still struggle with with answering that question about what is therapy versus what is case management, because I think oftentimes that that the bin that binary that I'm like trying to kind of figure out what that means. It's it's really hard to keep it separate in the reality of of clinical work of being a therapist. Yeah. Um, and I notice, for me at least, when I worked in mental health agencies myself, the issues around, oh, am I being a case manager? <laughs> am I being a therapist? Those questions came up way more frequently than in working in um, a private practice context. And I think that, in my view, my my understanding of that is it, is it really just speaks to the the privileges or lack thereof Um among among those that were providing therapy services to in the mental health agencies as opposed to um, who tend to uh, pursue therapy through private practice. So that's kind of one thing that pops up that there's a, a deep social justice issue here um, and even asking the question. And then it makes me wonder, okay, why am I asking this question? Why do I make, why am I making this distinction? What purpose is that for? Is it for me? Is it for my anxiety about having to manage a lot of stuff? You know, kind of for whom am I answering, trying to address that question? Right. So in case listeners don't know, what Dr. Finley is talking about is regarding private practice versus mental health agency is mental health agencies often serve populations that are the most marginalized populations in your neighborhood or your your region. And therefore suffering from a lot of the sorts of problems that I was talking about before that uh, are very critical to their survival. Whereas in private practice, typically it's a more affluent, if not extremely affluent population. And being in Seattle, since there's a lot of affluent people, private practice tends to have a lot of super affluent clients. And I just as a side note, I I have a client uh, or I had a client recently who I just sort of made a mental guess as to how much money he made. And and I just thought like the way he talked, the way he was comparing himself to his peers, I was thinking, I was thinking, oh, he must be making like 40 grand a year or something like, you know, he's 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 strapped, you know, he's he's paycheck to paycheck kind of thing. And then it came out later that he was earning like way more than that, you know? And I just thought (laughs) it's funny how in Seattle, like you feel poor when you're actually like, you know, empirically extremely wealthy when you think about like the country, if not the world. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, the point is, is that in private practice clients, because of their affluence and their privilege, don't have to deal with Medicaid. They don't have to deal with social work. They don't have to to deal with 
uh, you know, the difficulty of making appointments or being rejected for this sort of thing. They don't have to worry about long lines at some legal office or something. You know, they they're they could pay someone to do it or they could hire a lawyer or something. You know, they they, they have resources available to them. Not always, but in general. So so that's the difference. And in as you're in private practice right, right now, now, yeah, and, mm-hmm. and and I'm in private practice in our earlier years, as is the case for most therapists and counselors, they start off in these agencies where they serve these multi, what we call multi-problem clients or multi-problem families. Not that yeah. there's something wrong with them, but they have a lot of different factors that are playing into the quote-unquote presenting problems. So when you say social justice, what do you mean by that as it relates to case management? Yeah, so I, I think it's, and I know that that phrase can mean a lot, of, a lot of things to a lot of people. And I, I think what I say that in regards to ca- the case management therapy discussion, I think I mean that there is sometimes. I guess what comes to my mind is that there are certain levels of privilege in the therapy enterprise, and I think historically, kind of the types of folks who have created, who have developed our. Um, psychotherapy models for how to think about problems and how to intervene. Often there's some luxuries and privileges attached in terms of having the space and the wherewithal to, to reflect and to um, focus on coping skills and how they're managing kind of what's happening between their ears or in their most intimate relationships. And those are all, I think no matter what your station is or what's going on, I think those are still worthy things to focus on, but it's, the social justice piece, I think, really gets heightened when the 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 luxuries that are privileged around being able to do that or have that be the primary focus or even the sole focus are really obfuscated by those other needs um, that they have as far as access to health care, access to um, good housing or all the things that you were saying in your intro. Um, and so... I think I think it can get kind of sticky from a from a, the perspective of how we train our students. Being a, a, a therapist as opposed to a case manager or even a social worker um, who can kind of fill, who who I think maybe arguably fulfills both of those roles a bit more consistently than other therapists. I think it gets kind of sticky because of the assumptions that I think just kind of come up in the way that we train our students. In these, we're in these offices. We're in these spaces. And we we spend a lot of our time and curriculum focusing on what it looks like in the room, kind of doing those pretty purely therapeutic processes with our clients. And there's not a lot of focus on, okay, what do you do when it's just, there's just so many things that are going on, you know, that they need, they need a good lawyer. They need, you know what I mean? They need all these things that, that for all intents and purposes feel outside of the purview of, of who, what's our identity as, what our identity as therapists includes so and it kind of makes me think about okay well how much do we need to push back and challenge as therapists like or expand i guess i should say what it means to be a therapist and maybe including some of those case management roles versus maybe even just sitting with the discomfort of acknowledging that there are that that's just that these are just some of the limitations to what a therapist does and is and that's just that just is you know what i mean i don't know sometimes when, 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 which, which is which, or when one should <clears throat> predominate. Right. Yeah. You mentioned that our theorists have focused on particular sorts of problems. 
and meaning that they don't fit focus on case management other than a few notable examples like Mnuchin and others. Yeah, that's true. Who uh, would consider the broader context upon these structural people and, and there are others too, but, but in general, yeah, it's been very much focused on, on things between the ears or between relationships and not the social context. It's one of the big failings really of psychotherapy since the beginning is the end of our culture and society in general and of science in general, even till today of the, um, unacknowledgments or the denial of societal influences on people's lives. Um, you can see it in our politics. You can see it in just the way people talk, the way people feel about themselves, you know, uh, but anyway, so, and it's, you know, we're a part of this culture. And so therefore we are victim of that as well. And, um, and therefore don't, emphasize enough of the the cultural context and as programs uh, training programs of which you and I are a part of we uh, perpetuate that problem with our students also the we're privileged cuz most professors are further down the road in terms of their career and no longer work at agencies agencies are wonderful places to work if that's what you're into but they typically don't pay very much and they typically be yeah. they're typically um sort of hard they're harder they're harder jobs yeah because of the clients the hours um and so people typically once they kind of progress they'll either move up in the agency to a job that doesn't require them to be at the front lines or they go into private practice or some other gig that's yeah. not in that population and there's also a lot of diversity even within agencies like even within my students who are at different agencies where some feel way more supported in a community mental health agency and it seems like one of the big differences that that, that i see is that those more su supportive agencies just have better they have more access to greater resources to support therapists and having right. people in the in the role of case management and there's just it's just a little bit e an easier divide yeah i i want to provide my ultimate opinion on this oh please because yeah. i feel compelled but before i do that i want to just review again for people who don't know the sorts of jobs and please add in things that you can think of things like literally scheduling a medical appointment for a client mm -hmm. you get on the phone and you say and the client's in the room with you and, and you say okay, you need to get to a dentist or you need to make a dentist appointment for this nine-year-old. He hasn't seen a dentist in three years. And so, and I can't just tell you to go out and do it because I know it's not going to happen because you're depressed or you're suffering from PTSD or your, you know, your battered ex-husband is looming the neighborhood. And, and it's like, okay, you know, and of course you would address that case management issue. Right. In addition right. to, you know, let me just help you make it a dentist appointment right. for your kid. Driving a client to an appointment. This is not often a situation, but you know, there are therapists that do stuff like that. Coordinating care is probably the biggest one of like, as a therapist, you would reach out to the psychiatrist, you'd reach out to the social worker, you'd reach out to the dentist, you'd reach out to a paraprofessional, you might reach out to the neighborhood organization and, and you're, you're the sort of hub or at least one of the players that is frequently talking with what we call collateral contacts in the effort of providing a wraparound service for this family. Yeah, right, right. Um, advocating for services, going to 
Medicaid and saying, look, you have to put this, even though this mother is working and doesn't qualify for Medicaid, you, you can't do that to her. <laughs> you know, like this is, she's suffering from a lot of different things. She needs help. If she doesn't get Medicaid, she can't get mental health services and all these other bad things are going to happen, you know, so that kind of advocating, um, literally helping someone clean their house. I know therapists, in-home therapists that have done that, mm-hmm. helping clients access services, searching for services that could help them. This is another big case management activity that therapists are, are often called upon to do. Other things I mentioned before, like getting people set up with Medicaid or helping people find the right school or helping helping them pay their bills. You know, it's like, well, this person has a low IQ. Maybe they're even on the spectrum or something and they have kids and they are just they're having trouble or they have massive ADHD or they're or they're, you know, addicted to a substance and or they're just too stressed out or something and they just don't have the mental space to pay their bills and it's yeah. and their whole family is falling apart because of it and you're just like, hey, let's just make it every two weeks, let's go over your bills and let's look through them and, you know, get your checkbook out. I'm going to help you do that. Um, very case management uh, sort of work. Uh, any other things you can think of along those lines? No, I mean, I think that's like the bulk of it. And in, in my work with um, survivors of domestic violence, I mean, a lot of that turns into what we might objectively put in the case management role, but I just see it as an extension of my role as their therapist in terms of their safety plan and helping them make connections to other agencies or people um, to help kind of like what you're saying, that coordinating care. So, yeah, I mean, I, I hear all of what you're saying and, yeah. and have done all those, almost all of those things that you suggested. Have you helped someone my, clean their house? Oh, I have not, but um, have I? No, no. I've done been in their homes where I wanted to maybe clean their house, but right. um, did not actually do that. So what other kind of case management stuff have you done? Um, transporting clients. Okay. That's been part of it. Um, to like appointments? Right, to okay. appointments, uh, making, yeah, making phone calls and helping to schedule appointments with other um, healthcare providers, whether they be psychiatrists, physicians, or yeah, physicians, et cetera. Um, yeah, helping in with assist with childcare while they are participating in other therapy services. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of me assisting other therapists doing their role. But you know, just but that was kind of part of that agency culture too. You know, we're just kind of all hands on deck. Um, right. If there's a need and you can provide it, right. We're gonna then, we're gonna do that. Yeah. yeah exactly. So. Yeah. Well, here's my ultimate opinion. Yeah, let's hear. <laughs> I'm so excited to hear this. Is there's a spectrum of possibilities for each therapist. And know that you have a choice in the matter as a therapist. Mm. You can choose to be heavily involved in case management, but there are responsibilities that uh, come along with that decision. So on one end of the spectrum, you have someone who is perhaps indistinguishable from a, a, a full, you know, a full case manager, you know, and they also provide therapy, but maybe 99% of their week is spent doing case management stuff. So if you want to do that, then uh, the responsibility on that side is you better become competent at that because you're not trained to do that in all likelihood, unless you uh, are a lot uh, a social worker who right. got a social right. work degree and they're also a therapist in all likelihood you have taken no classes on this sort of work. 
And although it might feel intuitive, it's actually pretty complicated. It requires a lot of experience and you just have to know about the system. You have to become very acquainted with all the, the arcane knowledge of, of DSHS and Medicaid and, and of the law and of family court and of ad litems and of CPS and of charities and of, you know, like you have to get to know that whole system. If if you're going to sell yourself and say, yeah, I'm going to help you with this. You got to become competent in that. And like I said, that's additional knowledge that you probably don't have just naturally in this. Now I do know people who used to work as CPS workers who became therapists and therefore they know like a ton of stuff about that. And so, you know, they do come in with that knowledge. So if you're going to be on that end of the spectrum, Get good at it. Get a mentor. Get supervised by someone that knows that. Get connected. Have a system. Don't just think off the top of your head. Get a list. Get a book. Get a, you know, start figuring out, you know, how to even access the just droves of information uh, when you're in front of a in, in front of a client. Also, on that end of the spectrum, know your legality and your ethics and your responsibilities because if you're going to be calling people, you're still a therapist. And if you break confidentiality without not, um, written consent from the client, then you could get sued. Even though you're trying to help, you could inadvertently harm somebody in that way. Mm-hmm. Because of, of what I might even consider to be a dual role, a dual relationship in some ways. In terms of case manager case manager role versus because it's a very different role right you know if you're driving a client to a doctor's appointment this is another role that's not right because it involves activities that could interfere with or enhance you know the therapeutic relationship um if we're going to delineate the two which you could debate about on the other end of the spectrum you have another option and in between but on the other end of the spectrum you can say I do no case management. That is, that, that, that is, I choose not to. I don't want to do any of that stuff. You can say you don't want to do it because you're not trained. You can say you don't want to do it because that's just not your preference. You could say you don't want to do it because you don't feel comfortable, whatever. But you can, you, you, you can make that choice. But there are consequences and there are, there are think, responsibilities. The consequence is that some of your clients might not get the help that they need. And you could say to your, and you know, people could say that you're dropping the ball and that you're playing into a system that is marginalizing particular people and you're just going along with that. Um, So the responsibility is if you're not going to do that and you have a client before you that needs case management, it's your responsibility to set them up with a case manager Mm -hmm. or to highly recommend that they get a case manager. And to make it easier for them to get it, you know, just because this is what a lot of clinicians do that I know, they'll just say something like, well, it's not my problem. So, you know, what are you yeah. going to do? Yeah. And, you know, it traditionally speaking, going way back, that is the profession, but it is perhaps a better good for humanity if you consider the whole person and the and how they fit in society and trying to figure out what is, you know, morally the right thing to do. It's not hard to know a social worker uh, 
by name and have their number and have them at least, I mean that that social worker might not be the ultimate person that works with this client, but they'll know about who to connect them with. And so maybe just, you know, the one case management thing you do is, Hey, I'm going to call this social, this, this, you know, colleague of mine, and I'm going to give you the phone. I want you to talk with them and set up a time to talk. You know, that's not much effort. That's where I am on the spectrum, by the way. (laughs) You you as a therapist, you are on that end. I'm on that end. Yeah. But I have colleagues that are on the other end of the spectrum right. and it's, or, and people who are in between. So that's my ultimate opinion is you have a choice, mm-hmm. but there are responsibilities and consequences that you have to acknowledge wherever you are on that spectrum. What do you that's think? That's great. About that? No, I, well, I really appreciate the clarity and the distinction. Yeah. There's lots of shades of gray in between um, the therapist case manager kind of dual role, maybe, um, depending on how you look at that to, I don't do it. And I, so I appreciate that. And I, I especially appreciate your, um, honesty around being mindful and transparent about your, the consequences of those choices and the responsibility. Uh, because at the end of the day, some, you just have to acknowledge that some clients, might require certain services that are within your purview or they're not. And it is part of your job as a therapist, regardless of where you are on that spectrum to help, to help somehow facilitate that. Even with, even if it's maybe more boundary, we might say um, like on this, on the end of the spectrum that you're saying that you are. And I think that's what I, what I sense in myself or, or with other students is that consequence, that issue that you mentioned on the other end of, I don't do case management and worrying about kind of the, the social responsibility or duty in, in terms of not wanting folks to follow through or not want to facilitate or be um, to help in it, help in, in any way someone fall through whatever those cracks are, those societal cracks. Um, and so I, I think I agree with you and the way that you've kind of mapped it out and the choices, kind of the pros and cons. The, the thing I wonder about though, at least with many of our students who are in agencies where there's maybe not as much choice for them as far as where they can be on that spectrum. So how do they navigate that? Um, cause, cause in, in the continuum, it, it does kind of assume that you have the ability to just stake your flag somewhere along that continuum. Right. And then you can just, you know, proceed, you know, and, and go, go forward and prosper. Yeah. And so I guess I wonder for, for people who maybe have less choice because they're in an unpaid internship or whatever, how, how do you kind of help people in that situation, therapists in that kind of context? Yeah, very frequent question and well said by you. The thing that I tell people is there's a number of things I say. One is is that you have to do what your supervisor, your on-site supervisor says. So they're your boss and they sign off on your hours and they evaluate your performance and they could fire you if things get hairy and you you want particularly when you're an intern really, you want them to like you. Yeah. You don't want to be the rebel, you know what I mean, in those situations especially if you don't feel like you have a good relationship or a strong enough relationship with your supervisor, which is, you know, frequently the case. So that's what I say. The second thing I say is, however, know that if you ultimately don't want to do case management with the rest of your career, know that you can work toward that. You know what I mean? Mm, Maybe right. right now as a marginalized unpaid intern, you have no power and, you know, that sucks. And believe me, if I could change that, I would. But 
that's just the breaks, you know, and I'm sorry for that. <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> yeah. you had to go through what I had to go through. Exactly. That's true. <laughs> um, but, but no, but don't get what I tell people is if you want to do case management and that's what you love to do and it feels good to you because to many therapists it does, then embrace it. But if you don't like it, which is frankly more often the case, I tell people know that you don't have to you don't have to feel like this is your job. You might be required to do this right now, but don't feel like because of what a lot of novice therapists will tell me is they feel demoralized and disheartened by a job that they didn't think it was going to be this way. You know, they in their head most people who come into our profession as trainees have a vision of sitting in an office with a client who actually wants their help and who has the <laughs> yeah. has the space and time to do that for an hour a week. And the reality is that internship, not only do perhaps most of their clients don't even want their help, which is a whole other issue that we could talk about that I try to help them with. Like, it's like, you know, those clients that just make you feel like shit and like nothing is happening and you're like trying to like get them to talk and you're like desperately trying to convince them that they should not be so stern with their kids, you know, and nothing is changing. Well, it's not your fault. <laughs> it's a fault of, it's no one's fault, but just be what I say to people is just because someone's in your office doesn't mean they want therapy. Right. And, and, it, and you have to determine that. Is, is this person in my office someone who actually wants to work or is this someone in my office who is just in my office? You know, and there's a big difference. And the same goes for case management of, of de, de, delineating between, you know, they're, they're looking at me and they're just like, these families don't have time to think about recovering from trauma. They don't have time to think about their self-esteem. They don't have time to think about their marriage. They don't even have time to think about dating anyone at this point. So, uh, what is this job? This job sucks, you know? And, and I'll say, um, well, there are, you know, we'll talk for, you know, three hours just about that very question. But one of the things that we'll talk about is this is not necessarily the only sort of client. This is not the only sort of client out there. And so know that even though you're involved in a lot of case management, it's, it's, it's not something you're going to have to do moving forward in your career. When I started out as a therapist, I was in the ex exact same boat that I'm describing a as an intern, as a, as a post-grad working at an agency. I had all these sorts of clients and the case management stuff really started to pile up. I also did in-home family therapy mm -hmm. and that was even more case yeah, management that, oriented. Yeah, that too. Um, and so what I decided at the beginning, I tried, I remember I, I kept this list I knew about if I started learning, I, I would sit down with case managers and be like, okay, tell me, like, what are the resources out there? Because every once in a while, I'd hear someone getting set up with a resource and I'd be like, oh my God, that sounds so awesome. I need to, you know, that, that advocate for housing or that advocate for, you know, I remember Treehouse, if it's still around, was something mm -hmm. in the Seattle area that on Christmas time, or really, I think anytime, you can bring your kids there and the kids can just walk through this store and grab anything they want. It's just like free toys. And of course, it, you know, it's like a value village, but everything's free. And kid, it's like kids can walk through and say, whatever you yeah. can carry out of here is yours. You know what I mean? And kids will just be like, oh my God, you know, and, and you could imagine a very poor immigrant, 
you know, seven-year-old kid would just be like in heaven with that, you know? And so I remember learning about that. But I always felt like I was totally incompetent because every time I felt like I was getting good, someone else would come along and go, oh, Kirk, you know, there's this whole other thing with Medicaid that you're, you don't even understand. Do you know what I mean? And I'd be like, oh, God, why don't I understand? And then I thought about it and I said, I've never taken a class on Medicaid. I've never taken a class on Treehouse. I've never taken a class on social work. I have no, of course, I have no idea what I'm doing because I've never taken a class on it. And, and so I was in a why in the road and I said, okay, I'm either going to become, I'm either going to take classes or I'm going to become good and I'm going to dedicate all this extra time post-grad to getting good at this sort of thing or I'm not. <laughs> Guess which one I chose? <laughs> I, I said, I'm not. And, and I said, and so what I started doing was referring, especially in an agency, you can refer to a case manager or refer to the therapist who just happens to know a lot about case management. And then what I started doing was whenever clients or people came to me, because people would overtly ask me, you know, Kirk, I need help with my housing. And in the past, I would say, okay, I'll get on that. And I'd be like, I don't even know how to do that. And I'd run around trying to figure an answer. After the why in the road, I said, I have no idea how to, I don't even know what that means. I'm just a therapist. I was always saying that. I'm just a therapist. I'm just a therapist. I'm just a talk therapist. I might even throw that word in there. I'm just a talk therapist. I help people with their problems. I help people heal. I listen to people. I don't know anything about that because I didn't. <laughs> yeah. And lo and behold, as time went on, people stopped asking me for those sorts of questions. <laughs> and I relied on colleagues to help my clients out with stuff like that. And it worked. Um, when you, uh, you know, just a little trick if you want to ma manipulate your spouse and you don't want to empty the dishwasher, just the next 10 times you empty the dishwasher, do it all wrong. <laughs> just, just be terrible right. at it. And then no one will ask you to empty the dishwasher anymore. Well, that's what I was like when it came to doing case management. I just, I would look blankly at people, even though I, I had some ideas because I'd picked up a few things. I basically just put it out there that it didn't need that. One more thing. As time went on, people stopped referring clients to me that needed case management, you know, like uh, for my in-home work and other kind of agency work. If a client had a heavy case management need, they would say, well, don't give them to Kirk because Kirk's terrible at case management. I, I had gotten my reputation out there. And so I got the clients that I wanted because I was on the end of the spectrum of no case management. And then I was doing mostly what I wanted to do with my career, which was, which was talk therapy. Now, you could wage a complaint against me saying I'm not... I'm playing into the ongoing marginalization of these people, of which I would say you you would have a case for that. But I always have this vision in my head of like, people have a lot, some people have a lot of issues that they're facing. And, and, I, and I'm going to be really good at helping them with one or two of those problems. I'm going to get real good at that. But but if I allow myself to be sort of good at other problems, where does it end, do you know, with some of these people? Yeah. Because yeah. at some point, am I going to be washing their car? Am I going to be, I mean, literally, do you know what I mean? Like, your car is filthy. Let's I mean, to me, not to put it down, but it's it's like 
for my own sanity to some extent. Because that's another sort of issue is at what point do I just say, look, I'm going to do my job, I'm going to do it well, and I'm going to try. But I can't save it because there's a bit, bit of a savior complex yeah. issue yeah. when you Absolutely. start taking over for people. Right. Now, if you're working in a DV shelter, that's a whole different gig, right? I mean, that's a different expectation, a different. But, you know, that same notion of like the savior, like there's I feel like you know, in all of this work, though, there's always going to be that tension of when when are you kind of going to a place where it's it's not sustainable for yourself, for your own sanity and self-care, or perhaps you're. You know, you're over-functioning to some degree. You know, it's kind of like, when does that baton pass back to the client in terms of their own um, agency? So I guess when I hear you say that, I, I still think that that is still a, a, an issue, even if you're actively working in a context where, yeah, there's some safety issues and la- la- these larger issues that, that maybe don't come at us as frequently in private practice or what have you. Yeah, yeah. The, the other thing I'll say about this is there's a cultural thing in our field that I was basically um, hinting at, which is that case management is below psychotherapy. Mm, yeah. There, you know, on the, in the ranking of our field, case managers are absolutely below culturally right. psychotherapists. Psychotherapists, family therapists, counselors are privileged in our in our field case managers are are lesser even though they could get paid more potentially they are they're not doing real work you know they're 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 considered to be doing tedious um insignificant work right we're psychotherapists are healing psyches you know we're healing relationships <laughs> you know of course we are but i'm putting emphasis mm-hmm. on it in terms of the way it feels and so that's another factor that I'm sure plays into my own professional identity and mm-hmm. my own professional um, uh, preferences that I, Kirk, consider myself the sort of person that does the high-minded work and will, won't lower myself to the low-minded work. Um, that's, that's a part of it. I know it's a part of it in my head. I mean, there's even certain levels of psychotherapy that I privilege. You know, I consider psychodynamic, yeah, I see, um, yeah. interpersonal work to be superior to cognitive behavioral work, even though it's, you know, in reality, why would we privilege those things? And so, um, that's just a part of it. I don't know. Do you think that's a part of it? Yeah, I think for many, I, I was actually looking up before coming in here, um, just different job positions at agencies around the area, and I. And the, many of the postings I saw for the the therapist role, um, there's there's more words like lead, the lead, the authority on the case, and you know you're doing the, all those processes that you were just talking about, that kind of high minded stuff. And sometimes it, it would kind of venture into, um, I guess more k- typical case management jobs. But then when I get to the salary, cons- pretty consistently it was always higher. So there than the case manager role that I just read, even if there was some overlap in terms of doing some assessment or diagnostic and then you know what I mean so I, I absolutely think that's that kind of hierarchy or <laughs> is, is certainly a part of it yeah I mean we come for whatever reason from a societal thing particularly I think in the United States that privileges talk therapists that really benefits you and me <laughs> because people are willing to pay quite a bit of money for it as 
compared to other kinds of work that's similar and and even maybe even similarly educated um and and you know i sometimes feel lucky and i often just feel guilty about it you know right and i and i recognize it even though i benefit from it i have to recognize that you know like someone who you know drives their mail around you know like delivers our mail uh, in our culture they're considered lesser than than you and me why you know what's what's the difference like why would that be it's just a cultural privilege you know it's just right, a, right. just a story we tell ourselves and case management versus psychotherapy is a part of that um I want to mention this, the sort of professions that are involved in case management. Of course, therapists and counselors are often, but sometimes they can just be BA level, bachelor's level workers right. who are trained on at a site how to do this sort of work. Obviously, so, social workers, or you can even just have a non-degreed advocate of some sort, just someone who knows a lot about the system or a bachelor level social worker or a master's level social worker who works at a state agency or something. Uh, registered nurses, I've heard, can be case managers. So uh, so those are the sorts of professions. And so I think that's another issue of like sometimes case management means you have a you have a master's and you're just as educated as a lot of our colleagues. And sometimes it might mean that you're nineteen and you don't even you're not even started college yet, so that might be another issue. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, just getting back to the pay, in, empirically and in my opinion, with some client populations, the case manager should be the most the highest paid person, mm-hmm. <laughs> or the or the the most professional person, you know, and the therapist doesn't need necessarily to be that. Because the case management needs and the benefit of having a good case management system would probably outweigh in a lot of these families their psychotherapy needs. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, it also this um, makes me think of specific evidence based models, especially working with like at risk youth like multi-systemic therapy or multi-dimensional family therapy, functional family therapy, which are all pretty similar in their scope. But what's interesting about it is it, it takes a very high risk, larger community issue kind of a problem. And it really embeds, it's like the total marrying of therapist and case manager. But it's like this whole organized system that you're you are uniquely trained in this and you've got this team and it's all built in to, you know, it's a finely tuned machine. And it's interesting to see that compared to the work of, I think, a lot of therapists where they're kind of more of a lone ranger in many ways. Like they have to kind of work harder, I think, if they want to be on that end of the spectrum that you're saying and take on more of that case management. They they have to kind of build, really build that into their identity as a single person in a sea of other people. So I think that's interesting too, like because you can make a choice to just be a true believer in this particular model that really has that kind of wraparound service built into its therapeutic perspective and philosophy, not just a oh and by the way we're looping in case management in, in this work. It's just all built in. So, right. but that but that really I mean the 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 consequence there is you're 
you're not a generalist anymore, right? You're really focusing in on a, a particular population that you have a heart for and a passion, and it's taking on this full-on identity. Yeah, related to that, as a younger therapist, I really wanted to help people with eating disorders, and I found that I I had a a few clients who suffer from eating disorders and found it very rewarding professionally to help them. Mm-hmm. As I started getting more and more clients with eating disorders, I realized that my first few clients with eating disorders were very easy. And my later clients were more what we might call quintessential uh, cases in that they needed a lot of professionals involved for a long, long time. It wasn't just a little bit of self-esteem here and there or a little bit of trauma recovery here and there. It was doctors, nutritionists, um, day daycare people. What do you call it? Inpatient daycare. What do you call that? Day, day something. Day treatment, day treatment. Day tre- yeah. Uh, day treatment people, social, you know, their, their family members, their loved ones, their roommates, uh, everyone has to, I found in some cases we were all, we all had to be in communication every week. And I, as the therapist was, I felt this way. And I think it was true that I was the most suited person to be the central hub for all of that. The physician knew some of the stuff that was happening, but not, not all the stuff. Mm-hmm. The nutritionist knew even less. The mother knew, you know, some stuff, but not everything. Um, and so I just felt like I was the person that was suited for the most uh, to coordinate everyone and to uh, do all that. And it was exhausting. I mean, one client would take 30% of my week up in that way. And although I could have said, okay, well, I'm just going to charge for all those hours now, you know, and that stress, I'm just going to raise my rates with these sorts of clients. But I, again, had this why in the road of just like, is this the sort of, is this how I see myself as a professional? And I, the, I answered the question, no, I'm just, I just don't, I, I could do it, but it's just not what I prefer. And there are some people that do that kind of work and they do it great. But so I had to stop saying that I specialized in eating disorders that at that yeah. time. And and that was kind of a case management role. Yeah. Well and it's even with the other references to the functional family therapy, the the work that you did with eating disorders, like m- people who go into that work it kind of demands you having a much smaller caseload than most therapists, even work, working in agencies and certainly private practice have just as a rule. So if you're going to, com- that's the other thing. If you're going to commit to doing this, that's part of how you, you try to make it sustainable. Um, and it's not lost on me. I don't know. There's something, and I feel like this is kind of a half-baked idea, but I'm going to try my best to make it sound somewhat intelligent. Um, but it does seem like s- certain populations and certain pro- like multi-problem families or whatever it is, or even just more entrenched single problem, they just take up a lot of energy and space, you know, and they affect a lot of systems. That is, there's something interesting though about that kind of the the the, the beast of those kind of problems, just really kind of taking the piss out of out of you you know what i mean like there it's like 
the solution to these like multi-systemic problems demanding multi-systemic solutions in ways that again part of that kind of privilege and luxury when when your particular problems don't seem to quite have as big of a ripple effect into other systems mm. you typically don't need as many other multiple systems kind of working on your behalf to try to help help solve that issue right and so i think i'm always going to be um tasked to feel some modicum of guilt or concern around the social justice piece because so many of those issues are multi-systemic, whether it's because of institutionalized oppression, racism, sexism, whatever it is. So th- I think that that will always be a rub for me and th- knowing when to find that balance in terms of where I am on that spectrum that you just outlined earlier. Right. And there are ways to help people within the psychotherapeutic frame by saying it what you're describing to me sounds like racism. It right, sounds right. like your boss is a fucking racist. Just <laughs> yeah. so just let's just name it. Yeah. yeah. Just just um one person's opinion. Now I, I'm not a I'm not a professional racism detector. I'm just an I'm just another human being. But I'm but it it my from what my travels tell me that from your description that sounds like racism. And so you know, you should know that that's unfair and potentially illegal. At the very least, it's unethical. And I'm just, I'm just here to tell you that. And and so, even though you're not saying, "Hey, let's let's get you hooked up with the union," or "Let's get you hooked up with an advocate for this sort of thing," here's a book or whatever. You know, you're you're it's a psychotherapeutic intervention that you're using that's not case management that could affect the social justice issue and might help that person in that way. You could argue it's not going to help at all because just labeling it isn't doing anything. But, you know, um, there are things you can do. Uh, the other thing is is that, as I said before, the uh, perhaps it's a failing of our society or our field that we don't have a go-to person. You know what I mean? Like, it's incumbent on us to fix that problem, you know, when mm. we're not trained for it and our model of care is based on people coming to our offices for an hour a week, that we don't have some system to just call them or just say, hey, go to this person. They'll they'll absolutely help you. You know, if you want a divorce, I don't, I don't have to look far to say, go talk to this lawyer. I know this lawyer will help you with the divorce. If you want, you know to get a hamburger in our society, I know where to point you. Just drive in any old direction. You'll find yeah. a hamburger place. <laughs> but for some reason, it's when you have a problem with a, what we are calling a social justice issue, racism, sexism, marginalization, multi-problems, uh, financial issues, childcare issues, you know, employment issues, housing issues. It's like we, we don't have that quintessential person other than a DSHS social worker mm. who have... Uh, way too many cases. I, I think they right, have hundreds right. of cases. Yeah. yeah. And the 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 if we want to point the finger at anyone, it's our it's ourselves for not paying the taxes necessary to bolster that service. Um, with we should also mention public health, which I haven't mentioned yet. Is you know Planned Parenthood, they have caseworkers as well. Um, but. Uh, but yeah, it's just kind of, but at the same time, in terms of what you're saying, um, uh, if I would say, if you ever feel guilty and 
you've tried what you can try, you know, and, and you've referred them to the best person you can refer them to, then I would sleep easy at night. Cause it, we're, <laughs> right, we're, right. we're only, no, I, I get that. we're human. We're, you know, right. There's only so much we're capable of. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. And, it, and it's not like I'm, you know, having a terrible night's sleep or anything. And I, I guess I think that I'm okay with some of the, those kind of uncomfortable yeah. states. Cause I think to some extent, like sometimes I think it can go too far and it's like, Oh my gosh, you're running yourself ragged, you know? But having that around, I think, can be healthy. Or at least I'll speak for me, you know. kind of keeps helps to keep me honest or open, yeah. you know, um, and not closed off to a new way of thinking about it or, yeah, just a new way of helping. Or maybe not. Or maybe I just stay kind of where I am. But where are you on the spectrum? <laughs> I'm probably, that's a good question. Mm, I am probably more not quite the middle but a little bit closer to the side that you're on yeah and some of that i think again is just kind of a a feature of the current context that i'm working where it doesn't really in general there's not too many there's not as many demands on me to be more on the more heavy on the case management spectrum yeah okay interesting so i guess it's kind of perhaps my where i am is more just in response to kind of the reality of where I am and less a lot of a lot more thoughtfulness, frankly, in terms of like, I am here. Here's my flag, you know, based on the sort of clients you're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and, and perhaps kind of more. Yeah. Yeah. Based more on the clients that I'm seeing and, and, and a little bit to do with just my own thinking and kind of how I kind of tend to think about my role as a therapist but I haven't been as intentional. Um, this is my confession as far as like is, you know, case management therapy and really like thinking about those. Cause I think sometimes I just kind of took it as, Oh, well I'm making this phone call. Oh, you know, Oh, well that's an extension of what I do. You know what I mean? Like, I guess I just haven't been his- historically quite as thoughtful about those distinctions. And when you did those things in the past without thinking about it mm-hmm. too heavily, did it feel okay to you? Usually, but that's interesting though, because there were times where I felt like, what the hell? You know, why am I doing this? Like I'm spending so much time on whatever, you know, and just feeling that burnout feeling, you know, right. or kind of cl- uh, verging on burnout. And that's when I would think more intentionally about it. <laughs> it's like if I had time, if it felt like it made sense within the treatment plan, no, no problem, you know, but it's when it started to kind of feel like, oh, I feel like I'm working harder. Right than my client or or whatever it was, you know, and perhaps it was just a bad burrito and it really had nothing to do with the the case, but whatever it was, I just started to feel kind of a negative feeling, you know? Yeah. And that's when I would think more about it. And then plus just being more, just around, um, um, having more supervisee supervisees over the years, um, also has kind of brought that question up more. And then you've thought about it. Yeah. Thinking about it more. Cause I kind of came from more of a background where I just, you just do what they tell you. <laughs> don't ask questions. Just get through it. And you know what I mean? It's like I just, I, I don't think I was quite as questioning when I was in my training right. about that. I just <laughs> just did it for good or bad or whatever. That's just kind of how it was for me, at least. Yeah. Well, there's a culture in mental health agencies that basically does this without questioning it. There's, in my experience, there's almost never the question the question is never asked. 
Is this, am I competent to do this? Is this really part of my job description? Do I have an option here? What are we doing? Is there a better system? Because to me, a better system is you have a case manager on staff or you have 10 case managers on staff. And, and you're all well connected. Yeah. You know, it's a real relation, working relationship. Yeah. They, they're next door to your office and you just go, blah, blah, you know, and instead of like some agencies, they don't, they don't have a single case manager on staff. They have, they have 10 therapists, no case manager. And, and so the question is never asked. And I, and I find that to be a problem when I tell my supervisees, my opinion on this, inevitably they always have a sigh of relief they're like oh my are you really you mean i don't have to do that Mm, forever like Like, giving them permission yeah yeah and because like i said we enter the field wanting to do a particular job right if if someone asked you to dig a ditch as part of a therapist (laughs) or you know work on the electrical lines or wash someone's car or clean someone's (laughs) chimney i'm just i'm just looking at things that i can see in front of me right now uh you know, fix a clock, um, you know, just because at your boss asks you to do it or a client asks you to do it and, and it will actually help them does not mean that you have to do that or have to consider that a part of your job. Right. And I'm not putting down case management um, specifically, but I'm saying that you get to decide the job that you want to have in some ways. If you, if if you hate working with this particular population, now again, as an intern, you might not have that choice, but as you move forward in your career, you absolutely have the right to head your career in that direction. There are options for you. And if you don't want to do case management, you have that as an option you can work toward because that is not a requirement. Now, if you came to me and said, I want to be a therapist, but I don't want to communicate with another human being for the rest of my life. I would say, tough shit. You have to communicate. I mean, right. that's just part of the or gig. Or maybe you need to change your path. Yeah, you got it. You can't be a therapist <laughs> right, right. without communicating yeah. to people. Or I want to be a therapist, and I want to be a nudist twenty four seven. Well, maybe online therapy. You know without Skype or just from the neck up or something. <laughs> so there are options there. You know, there's a lot of flexibility um, is what I'm saying. Boys have such generous necklines. <laughs> yeah. A shirt. Yeah. Man, she, she uh, must have a halter top. Uh, on. <laughs> um, and so um, there are options. And if, and so when I tell a beginning therapist about this, they're just like, Oh, because no one at their agency is even bringing up the question as to whether or not this is something that they have to do or or don't have to do. Right. And actually, that's interesting that you say that, because I think that when it really comes down to it for a lot of the students I've worked with with this issue is it comes to the way in which they feel that they can talk openly about job roles and responsibilities and that there's a more of a, a a, um, a coordinated effort, I guess, in terms of how, how work is defined and allocated. And I think for many students, it feels unclear, or kind of gray and just ugh, ever like a moving, moving target, you know, it's just kind of everyone stressed out and overloaded and underpaid or something, you know. And so I think that kind of gets in the way of being able to have a pretty open, clear com- conversation about it. Right. Totally. So, 
Has this conversation affected how you might help your own supervisees who are freaking mm. out on a daily basis? Because they are. They would tell me that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So is this, is this, <laughs> does this change how you might approach them? You know, I don't know how much it changes the actual the doing, but I think it does help give more co- confidence. It's kind of <laughs> that that hopefully will translate into more confidence and a little bit more ease on their parts in terms of just both having a little bit more clarity about what's kind of in their wheelhouse and how much choice and control they have. But I still think there's going to always be that tension of you're, you're going to maybe be bound toying with that question of where that line is and what that looks like kind of throughout your career. So how can you kind of get comfortable with that question and not work yourself into a tizzy and also not just throw your hands up and, and be blind to things that are really actually maybe more your responsibility or at least to pass the buck, right. help, help pass the buck. So it does help me in terms of just simply clarifying and shaping, framing the conversation a bit more tightly, I guess. Yeah. What I recommend to novice therapists when I'm talking to them is keep thinking about it until you feel comfortable with a with a personal policy about it you know keep thinking about it, keep talking about it and establish your policy because if every time a client asks you to do a case management thing you go into your prefrontal cortex and try to you know executive function a solution to every single time this comes up for you you're going to burn out right absolutely Whereas if you develop a policy like these are the things I'm going to do and these are the things I'm not going to do and here's how I feel about it, then as they come at you, you just invoke your policy that you've, that you've already explored and established as feeling good to you and, and incorporates the social justice piece and like the reality piece and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Then, because that's what I did a long time ago, early in my career with case management, I, I developed that policy that I still have today, I probably developed it six months after graduation. (laughs) I mean, it was quick because it's so much. There was so much in the beginning. And so I developed that pot and refined it over time, but I have never really had qualms about it. I haven't run into any personal burnout regarding case management because I have a policy and I just follow it and I don't have to think about it. It's just like, these are the things I do and these are the things I right. don't do. It's, like part, it's part of your identity, too, as a therapist. Right. Yeah. The, 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 as you develop as a therapist, the less thinking you need to do about certain things, the better. Um, but you have to think a lot to get to the point where you don't have to think anymore. <laughs> right. So, you know yeah, I mean? no, totally. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for that episode. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself. Because Why should people take care of themselves, Michelle? Because really, I mean... When it comes down to it, I think you're really the only person who really can. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. True. And after that, get other people to take care of you as well, because it takes a village to take care of somebody. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See ya.